Welcome to Big Blend Radio's Nature Connection Show with Lisa and Nancy, publishers of Big Blend Magazines and nature photographer Margot Carrera. Hey, everybody. Uh, so excited to introduce authors Rob Long and Andrew Dolberg onto the show to talk about their new young adult novel. And I believe it's going to be part of a series, which we love, right? Uh, it is called The Great Weather Diviner. And we're going to talk a little bit about adventure. We're going to talk about Junior. They'll tell you about Junior. Uh, they're also going to tell us all about climate change, environment, and how storytelling can uh, really be a part of making positive change. I encourage you to go to their website because, you know, it is the season. Not only can you get the book there, but you can also get all kinds of cool T-shirts and gear. So go to greatweatherdiviner.com. So I'm going to start with you, Rob. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on, your, on the show today and uh, doing great. Really excited to talk about our book. Now, it's the Great Weather Diviner, and then it's got something about a groundhog that um, I, I believe that's something that, that you know about. It is. I, I grew up in the real life town of Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, which is he in said it. <laughs> Punxsutawney. It's a tough one. Um, <laughs> and so it's really based on the very now famous sort of local folklore that I grew up with. It really, as you all well know, got very famous in the 90s when the ground, the Bill Murray Groundhog Day movie came out, which we all oh, love. Yeah. Uh, but that's very much based on a thing that they've been doing for all, almost 200 years now in Western Pennsylvania. And uh, it's a very important part of the town. And um, we decided to create a story uh, loosely based on Punxsutawney Phil and, and the weather predicting that, that he does there and turn it into a story that's meant for a, a new younger generation and make it about climate change and make it mm -hmm. about a lot of other really interesting stuff that I'm hoping we can get into. Absolutely, absolutely. And welcome to the show, Andrew. How are you doing? Thank you so much, Lisa. I'm doing great. I'm really happy to be here. Now, you're both based in Southern Florida, right? So, um, Andrew, are you born and raised there, or do you ever go up to see Punxsutawney? Yeah, Rob is the Punxsutawney native of the group, uh, and I'm born and, and raised in South Florida, uh, still living here. But when Rob came to me with the idea for uh, this untold origin of Punxsutawney Phil, what it brought me back to was a memory of learning about Groundhog Day in my first grade classroom, because mm. across the country and in some parts of the world, uh, in other countries as well, we learn about the story of Groundhog Day. It has a very impo important role as mm -hmm. folklore uh, in Amer American legends. It's really one of the, the biggest American folk stories that we have in modern times. And so when he brought the, the original short story to me, it was really exciting because I knew that this was a story children everywhere loved. Uh, and I can even think back to my first grade classroom and the, what the teacher said. And uh, we watched the the groundhog see his shadow on that day. Uh, and it was really exciting. So I enjoyed getting to know the story of Punxsutawney Phil much more through Rob. And now we're working on the book. And as you said, a longer series about Punxsutawney Phil and Groundhog Day as well. I love this because... You've got an animal character, and you don't see that very often in a young adult novel, I don't think. And it kind of almost brings me back, even the look at the illustrations and the cover, and even the t-shirts and everything, it kind of brings me back to comic books where we're used to those characters. But I think we're missing them in young adult books. It's always human characters. We're getting more for girls now, though. 
So I want to give a shout out to all those writing, you know, with girls in them. But uh, we want girl power. But now you're giving animal power around folk stories. So, Rob, tell us a little bit about why you thought, hey, it, you know, young young adults are going to want to read about animal. I do. I would have, too, at that age. And I, as far as I'm concerned, adults should read this, too, because it's fun. Well, that's the thing. The book's really designed for a middle grade audience, which is kind of the group just before young adult, uh, starting in middle school at eight. But we, we wrote it in a way that young adults should enjoy it, too, as well as their parents. Um, we have a lot of metaphors in there that are very relatable, uh, especially when, when, it, when you talk about the whole climate change dynamic. You know, our generation and the younger generation were both kind of bore, inherited this as a, as a major issue, and it causes a lot of distress. And that's how our character feels and how the other characters in this feel. And they are now tasked with with dealing with it. So this book, in a large way, is about that generational change. And we think that's going to be relatable to a, several different groups of people. But, you know, yeah, it is all anthropomorphic characters. We were excited to do it that way because it allowed us to create some other really interesting metaphors. Not only could we use uh, this young version of Punxsutawney Phil, um, but we could also have animals split up by different types of animal species and really talk a lot about how tribalism works and talk a lot about floralism and other things like that because of that we have the the working class group that is made up of all the miners and Punxsutawney, the mining animals, right? And then we have different groups that are the the folks that are like the the richer group that are different type of animals. And so it's able to really kind of break down some complicated concepts like tribalism and put it in a way that might be a little more digestible and interesting uh, for a younger reader. That's really cool. So, Andrew, what what did you think of when you first saw, hey, here's the beginning of this story? And then, you know, where did you how did you guys work together? I mean, and how do, why did you go to Andrew first, Rob? Like, I want to hear about that story. Like you go knocking on the door. Hey, I've got a groundhog and we're going to fight climate change with a groundhog. I mean, you know, <laughs> I didn't do it lightly because, you know, it's a hard <laughs> I, I, I worked on this thing for a minute for it was during COVID I started it. It was an idea I had in the back of my head for a long time. During COVID, couldn't do much work, and I was losing my mind in captivity, sort of, and um, decided to start doing this as kind of a creative outlet. And um, there didn't really know how to explain it to anyone without sounding crazy that I was writing this story about a groundhog, uh, or Punxsutawney Phil story that was about climate change. Um, it sounds ingenious now, right? But like when I'm the only one working on it and it doesn't have any credibility yet, it's it's a little tough. And so knowing Andrew and I have been friends for a long time. Him and I talk about and sometimes argue about movies and books and shows. And um, I've always really uh, commended and respected his understanding of narrative structure and a plot. And we're very much on the same page with stuff like that. And mm -hmm. so he was someone I'm like, all right, he'll at least tell me if this sucks, right? He'll tell me if this is crazy. And um, so I sent it to him and his reaction was just like, he was super excited about it. And he, he thought it was great and saw the potential in it. And I was so grateful for that. And that was the validation I needed too. And then him and I just from there came up with a whole game plan to partner up on mm -hmm. it and create something much bigger than what I had made. What I had made mm -hmm. was a short story compared to the novel that we structured out and built over the course of several years after that. And um, mm. it was actually a really great process. Him, Andrew and I think a lot in the same ways, but we also have our strong suits. So some of the things I'm not as good at, he's really good at. And some of the things that I'm better at, you know, 
so anyway, we, we kind of fill those gaps for each other and it works, it works out really well. We kind of fell into a great writing routine. That's cool. Do you have fun, Andrew? Oh yeah. And what I really enjoyed about our process was that, uh, after I read that initial sort of story and we talked about the potential for this, um, first of all, like Rob said, I loved the short story. It was original in a fun way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed that it told a story about climate change in a new way. And that was Mm -hmm. always at the center of this project. We wanted to talk about climate change in a way that was accessible to a younger audience and that it wasn't going to be too heavy handed. Right. We wanted to create an enjoyable story, something that a middle grade reader uh, can look at. And just like a Pixar movie, they watch it and they enjoy Mm -hmm. it. and It's fun. And their parents are looking over their shoulder during that same movie saying, wow, there's a there's a deeper message here. And that was the goal here. So when we started the actual writing process, turning that short story into the novel, it didn't start with us writing an outline or writing the first chapter. It started with hundreds of hours of just conversations. We wanted to talk through everything about this world that we wanted to build before we ever put pen to paper. Oh, wow. So what we did is we came up with the characters that we wanted to move forward with, some of which were were plucked from the original short story and many of whom uh, didn't exist until those initial conversations. And then we talked about the world that we wanted to build. Um, Rob and I talked a lot about our references of the Lord of the Rings and the Chronicles of Narnia and even like the Wizard of Oz mm-hmm. as those fantastical worlds that we wanted to kind of mirror. And so a lot of what you can see in the book is a political system even and an economic system. Oh, especially with the animals do it, like the raven and everything. Yeah. Animals do this. I mean, it's it's pretty, and they're smart. I mean, and people don't realize that. And I think that's the one beauty of this. One of them is that you start to understand how animals are and you let animals have the brains that they have and they're not brainless. They're certainly not clueless at all. Absolutely. And I think through that, you've created almost like, you know, action hero figures, you know what I mean, where there's action involved because climate change is becoming this um, fear factor where people will put their head under the sand after it. It's like, Mm. who cares at this point? For our younger generation, that's an incredibly scary notion. Um, So it's, it's better to have some kind of humor, some kind of fun and whimsy, yet actionable. You know, so that the fear factor, oh, yeah, this this is some real stuff, but we can do something. So I think it's very positive what you're doing. And they're at the age where they can understand a little bit and do something and get help to do to do projects, you know. So I, yeah. I think that is cool. You know, Thank so you. building it that way is huge. And having a dinner table conversation amongst a family I've been thinking about this idea of like, we need to have book clubs for youth, like within their own families, so they can discuss. I mean, would you see this, Robert, with the book and the series becoming like a book club, whereas like maybe most of the family actually reads it and discusses, you know? I think it would be excellent for that type of thing or for a teacher to read to their class and have a group Mm. discussion about it as well. Andrew and I have talked about that at length. Um, his Andrew's sister was one of our beta readers and uh, she was she was talking to us at length about how this could be this could be the perfect type of book to read to our class and then ask them questions about it. You know, uh, and we did build this really uh, 
interesting sort of fantastical world here and we have talking characters and there's a lot of sort of mystical things in the book but most of it is underpinned by by real science we, we tried to always tie it back to real things in fact even at the end of the book we have a glossary where we list out a bunch of the real life animals that we included in the book that are either endangered or have become extinct mm -hmm. from climate change um so we really make a, a, a pretty solid effort to make it a really immersive, fun book with some really interesting metaphors in it that, that adults will get, but also educational at the same time, right? We don't, we, we tried really hard to make it not uh, heavy handed. We don't want kids to feel like they're reading the textbook at all. And it, it doesn't mm -hmm. read like that, but you know, we thought it was important to have some, some real information in here too. So kids could walk away from this and actually have learned something and mm -hmm. really feel, hopefully feel inspired. You know, we want, mm -hmm. It's not just meant to be gloom and doom either. They, we're hoping that kids walk away from this hopeful and that they, they feel inspired to do something and that they also feel like they're not alone in how they might feel about distress, about what's going on in the world around them. You mm -hmm. know, the world this helps folks digest, digest some of that stress that they're getting from the media and, and, and from what they're learning out there. Yeah, I think so. And, and like I was saying, I think between the two of you, the storytelling and then the science aspect being coming together you know, is, is really unique and, and necessary. We need things like this. Would you like to see, like, as you do the series, I heard of flamingos coming. Is that true? Yeah. Am I allowed to talk about flamingos? Uh, yeah, we, uh, we've been working on uh, two things, actually. We have planned an entire series of The Great Weather Diviner, where we continue following the journey that Junior starts in this first book and continues to see the wider world that we created uh, further explore some different aspects of climate issues. And that really is going to continue being the main focus. And uh, we're hoping to have four books as part of that series. But we've also been working on, um, and we don't have all the details yet, but it is definitely in the works. We've been working on a spinoff that is more of a children's book, uh, a picture book, actually, that focuses more on Hugo the Flamingo, who's introduced in The Great Weather Diviner, and the picture books will follow his story a little bit more. So uh, we hope to be back here to talk with you more about that once uh, yeah. this book is is in the works. I love that because, I mean, oh. there's a flamingo. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Hugo, Hugo is featured on my shirt here. You go. That's see him down here. I, that's cool. That's Well, it's interesting because you're seeing flamingos place like St. Um, St. Mark's is a national wildlife refuge mm -hmm. out in the panhandle that I, I adore. And I'm like part of this Facebook group. And everybody's got pinky the flamingo there it's a big deal and he wasn't there before and so yeah. and, and then you know i was doing we did an interview on on this show on the nature connection with the head of uh, the aquarium over in corpus christi and they opened up a wildlife rehab center and it's because of climate change and they're saying they're getting manatees from florida in texas now in the texas panhandle which is insane and their issue is their rehab, their their rescue center, is because they during when it gets cold in winter, because climate change is not just hot, it's also cold, which is really hard to explain to people because of global warming, the title. But they are getting between four to five thousand, I think it was, sea turtles coming in for rescue at once because they're frozen. And so, you know, we were just talking about that. I'm like, oh my gosh, so Animals are really shifting, which, you know, even human tribes have done that over the years, according to drought and, and lack of food or water. But we're starting to really see that, that animals are shifting because I don't believe manatees come from Texas. 
you know, they come from your side. So living in Florida, you guys are going through a lot, especially Southern Florida. I mean, you, the Keys, I think, is one of the most, um, you know, tender spots in this country when it comes to climate change. So do you feel that each of you living there a little bit more stronger about, hey, we, we can't just sit around, that this is real being in Florida? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, my previous, um, I was previously in an elected role. I'm in an elected role now. I'm a city commissioner in Delray Beach. But prior to that, I was, I sat on the county soil and water conservation district. Mm-hmm. I chaired that board for about six years and got to see firsthand some of these issues, which some, some of those you wouldn't even think about, <clears throat> excuse me, in the agricultural world. Palm Beach County mm. is, has one of the biggest agricultural, um, production areas in the country, the largest one east of Mississippi, that's all disappearing now um, because uh, it's it's too hot and the produce doesn't last any as long now because of the heat. And it's all moving further north because the freeze thaw line is moving further up. So a lot of the production we used to have here is going to move up to Georgia in the next few years. And you see a lot of wow. uh, farmers selling off their land and it's probably going to end up getting developed. That's just the sad reality of, of what's going on here. And that's just one thing. Like all the other things you mentioned are, are happening as well, especially in, with our wildlife. We have an insane amount of invasive species down here, which has been. Oh, you issue. got the pythons. My gosh. Pythons. And th- that's only getting worse, all, all that stuff. But you do see a lot of really strange migration happening as well. Um, mm-hmm. But I will say that was one of the reasons, you know, we decided to write the, the Hugo book. It's called Hugo, the Last Flamingo. And it's where he goes back to his home, which is in the Everglades. And so this book is more about the Everglades. We get to put some more Florida-centric animals in it. Where there's, a, there's a manatee character in it. There's sea turtles in it. I won't give too much else away, but we're really mm-hmm. excited about it because we're hoping we can partner with some you know, uh, for instance, uh, the Great Weather Diviner, um, we are partnering with Habitat for Humanity here in Palm Beach County, and they get a proceed of our from our profits. Awesome. Awesome. But we're hoping with Hugo maybe to partner with another Florida-centric group that's, that's maybe more aligned with the Everglades or something. Mm. Um, we're working through that now. Um, we have our brilliant illustrator who did the, the beautiful cover Amazing. behind you. Who's doing all the illustrations for the Hugo book. Um and she's just incredible. So we're really, really excited about that. And we're excited to do something that's more about Florida for that. Um, mm. you know, that's where we live. That's our home. And we are really concerned about it. I think it's good that you have some Pennsylvania history in there, too, because oh, yeah. I used to live in Florida and, and it's up and down that that highway, you know, up and down. You're not too well. It is kind of far. But I remember driving out of a snowstorm in northeast Pennsylvania. I mean, that cold, icy wind, no, like absolutely not. And driving, I was like, I'm not stopping until we're out of this. And I kept driving and we ended up in Titusville where Saint, there's a Merritt Island National Wildlife Refuge. Yeah. We get there and we're like in t-shirts and I'm going, okay, we're, we're going to stay like this. And, and we did see a manatee and alligators and everything. We we love that that refuge as well. Um, But it's, I think... It's a rel- it, It's so relative. And I mean, it, when you think about how we can just go from icy snow in Pennsylvania in just like a, you know, an overnight drive. Well, everything's short for me now, but everything is so connected. And I think that's the, the thing that's also beautiful about your storytelling is getting kids and young adults and adults to understand the web of life. 
you know, what was happening in Pennsylvania was also affecting certain things in Florida, you know, and vice versa. Like you're saying, okay, so farmers want to move to Georgia. Well, they didn't have their peaches this year because they froze, you know, um, they had a freeze. So it's kind of a dicey thing. So, Andrew, I want to go to you on this in in storytelling. To be able to share the web of life, explain the connectivity between humans, animals, and then the weather. That you guys are, I mean, so that's why you had to have all those conversations. So you're like planning a city, basically. You got the the background of city planning. You got the education background, the storytelling background. You guys have all this great background knowledge, right? But to be able to tell the story, did it come from being able to do all the pre-construction, basically, like you're building? That yeah. was that, yeah. Yeah, and and our. Our understanding of climate issues was really at the core of how we wanted to tell the story. And so, uh, as Rob mentioned, he uh, right now is an elected official. He's a city commissioner for Delray Beach, Florida, and he's working a lot of uh, conservation issues there. Uh, I previously, prior to writing this book, worked in uh, federal and state government and worked on a lot of climate issues there as well. And so we're kind of taking our understanding of those issues and trying to apply them to a story that is accessible in the way you're talking Mm -hmm. about, right? Anyone should be able to read this story and see how the animals affected here are interconnected with these climate issues, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of our characters are displaced from their homes because of deforestation uh, or because of uh, fires or because of uh, climate affecting the temperature of different regions. And so, in that way, we're able to, to focus on the climate issues through the lens of the animals and, and how the nature is affected by all of that. Um, the other thing we wanted to focus on, though, is the way that industry is affected. Rob already mentioned agriculture. Uh, in the book, we have characters who have trouble finding food because uh, different parts of the world are not able to farm or not able to grow crops anymore. Mm. And we're going to continue expanding on those themes throughout the series. But the effect that the climate change issues have on both animals and humans is palpable. And we wanted to tell that story in a way, uh, going back to what you mentioned about why we chose to tell this story through animals. It is so much easier to talk about these issues when you can kind of remove yourself a little bit and not just talk about the political nature of them, right? We don't want this to be a political story. We want it to be a story about the very real issues that affect us on a daily basis and how we can rethink those issues and start to take action on them. Right. It's it's kind of like when you're writing books, maybe it was about a, a sports, you know, you know, you're a sports hero, right? And then how they had to fumble and what was going on in the industry and how do you overcome it? You know, we it's all those kind of stories, but now it's like real stuff. It's climate change. It's it's very real of what's happening. But I, I love that you're bringing all those, that's why I was saying the web of life into it so that people understand that whatever we do, where we are now is going to affect, you know, someone or something 3,000, 10,000 miles away. You know, it, it really does. And that's what I always find very difficult. It's like, oh, um, we want to develop this land. Oh, but there's a specific frog that thrives on this land. And it's like, no, we're developing it. Who cares? What do we need another frog species for? And that's because the web of life is not really, I just don't think it's been taught as as much as it's always needed to be. I really think we we've lost that connectivity of understanding well this frog helps this and it helps this bird you lose that frog you're going to lose that bird you know over here which means you know 
So I think that I, and having animal characters, people identify with animals and pets, you know, cats, <laughs> all of that, you know, we all identify and it's cute. And it's, I like that you're taking away from the humans. So it's not an argument, you know, but you're also bringing in something that does get political. Everyone's carrying on about refugees and, you know, all of this. And I'm going, this is a global thing. If everyone's going to argue now, what are we going to do in five years from now? Really? Everyone is going to have to move. There's islands, entire islands that are going to have to move. Are we going to be angry or are we going to be understanding because we may need to move too? <laughs> you know? So yeah. that kind of empathy, I think, and I'm not trying to be political because I know you guys are all understand how to be non-political and do things. I just spout off, but, but to be able to um, get that basis of understanding may give more insightful conversations. Mm -hmm. And that's the yeah. hope we wanted to, we didn't want to be political in this story. No. Uh, what we want to do is talk about the way the world is changing and uh, hopefully uh, people can, as you said, develop empathy when they have more awareness of some of these issues and can think about them in a way that is removed from political conversations and more rooted in uh, just what you could see in the world around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because just now you're going to say, why can't I have strawberries in spring in San Diego? <laughs> you know, I don't know how long your season of strawberries are <laughs> in Florida, but can't remember that. But I've, I remember always being able to get stuff. But um, I also wanted to touch on you with this because the characters are so strong, the story, every, I feel like this is something that people can read more than once as well. But would you, would you want this to go into being like a series, a video, like, you know, a Netflix series or something as a movie? Is that part of your plans too? I think we would love that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, if Netflix or God forbid Disney wanted to pick it up, we would be ecstatic. Um, That'd be excellent. We certainly build it that way um, to, to be um, that to be a possibility. We we're really proud of our characters. We, we put a lot of work into them to make them extremely dimensional and have their own history and their own motivations and uh, very distinct character arcs throughout this book, but longer character arcs throughout the series. You know, Andrew, my mm -hmm. Andrew and I have spent a lot of time already mapping out where the series is going to go. We have a relatively firm outline of what we're doing for the next book. And we'll start really working on that probably sometime next year. We're pretty focused right now on promoting this one, but absolutely, um, we're really excited about where we can go with this entire world and with the characters that we've built. And we've got a lot of really great feedback from folks who have read it so far, uh, who really are, are attached to our characters. Like we get, we get calls from people that haven't finished it yet. And they're like, this isn't going to happen. Right. And be like, you got to read to find out that are like really concerned. Uh, for, and we're like, that's a really great sign that people are really getting immersed in this book when they read it. And that's really what we want. Right. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like Andrew, Andrew said it really well that we use these animal characters in a way uh, to uh, basically expose the, the core of what we're trying to do without getting kind of caught up in political issues. It allows us to show that these characters are really just. You know, these squabbles are just characters fighting over resources, right? Limited resources because they've been displaced by climate change. Mm -hmm. And in our book, we, we call it something else, but folks know that's what it is. And I think it allows you to have more empathy for the characters without thinking there's an agenda there. And I think because we use these animal characters, but we make them very human-like, I think that 
it's it really allows people to connect to them you know i i I think the animal character is so crucial and and like you're saying you know providing the information about the endangered species and what how it's affecting them you know we've done so many wildlife shows for i mean gazillions of years and and we always talk about you know wildlife trafficking how it's connected to human trafficking all of that stuff and but i always go at the end of the day if you don't have the habitat for the wildlife they're gone look at the amazon you know and and um so hopefully some positive things will happen for them out there but very excited for you both and for everyone reading it and that you're doing a series i think is exciting um that that's showing commitment you know for readers if you want them to make a commitment of positive change um then you're doing your commitment part too by doing more than one book i think that's cool and and to do a series like that it's that's a, that's really exciting um everyone it is out now greatweatherdiviner.com i encourage you to go to their website directly um because again there's all kinds of cool t-shirts and things it's this is airing on black friday because you know there's a whole national park thing opt outside you know um, maybe we can, you know, these are kind of like the alternative ideas is get books. Um, so hard copy books, people can get in a bookstore, like a real bookstore. Yeah, okay. that's right. Uh, the Great Weather sure. is, uh, it's sold wherever books are sold. Uh, we can't promise it'll be in stock in every store, but you can certainly find it online at, at your favorite bookseller. Yeah. Bookshop.org. I know you guys are, are cool with that too. And, um, and then if you go to your bookshop and it's not there, ask them to get it in stock, you know, yes, uh, that's a cool. Yeah. Please. Are you going to do any speaking engagements? Any kind of. We have a whole leg. Uh, our first leg of our book tour is planned out that will uh, get us through the first couple months. And that is ma- mainly focused in South Florida, going to a lot of different Barnes and Nobles and doing signings there. Cause a lot of those stores are carrying our book. You can order it on Barnes and Noble, um, anywhere, but awesome. a lot of the stores are covering it. Um, and we're hoping more and more will begin to get those books in. And we're working with a few local bookstores around us as well. We're doing stuff with the Delray Beach library. And then we are uh, working on planning out, um, a whole component of our book tour that will be in Pennsylvania. So we'll, we'll be up in Punxsutawney for Groundhog Day. We're going to, I was going to say, you had to do that. I was going to, I was like, you have to brave the winter. Go on. <laughs> right, exactly. And we're going to work with the library up there and donate some books to them. And we'll definitely be there. And we'll be probably doing a bunch of different signings in the area up there as well. And uh, I know we have uh, some stores and some great stores in New Orleans um, where that want to do events for us. And we're working on a few other key areas as well. And so it's going to be our goal to really fill out a decent tour that hopefully goes all over the country uh, throughout really the end of this year and, and next year. Excellent. And for the, hey. for the most recent information about uh, our book tour and our other stops, signings, school visits, all of that, um, you can find us on social media. Uh, look for The Great Weather Diviner, but it's also at Groundhog Book. And that's where we post about all of the most recent information okay. about the events we have coming up. Oh, very cool. Maybe we'll see you on the road somewhere. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> I'll just put a big book on the roof of our car as we keep going. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you so much, guys, and best wishes with the book and the series. And do keep keep us posted. You guys have to come back when you're ready. Absolutely. We'd love to. Thank you so much for having us on. Thank you, Lisa. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Big Blend Radio's Nature Connection Show. 
Follow us at BigBlendRadio.com and keep up with Margot at MargotCarrera.etsy.com.